There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to season three of Queer I Am, the podcast, live and unscripted. I am so excited to share this with you. The podcast has been recorded over eight weeks in front of a live audience at Arco Baleno, an inclusive queer space in the heart of Kemp Town, Brighton. I am so proud to be partnering with Arco Baleno and cannot thank Luciana, Nick and the whole team there enough for their support and generosity in the making of this season of the podcast. If you haven't been there before, please check it out. Not only do they have an incredible Maltese menu for you to explore, but they also have a range of cocktails, drinks and a regular schedule of entertainment for you to enjoy. The podcast is also being supported by their production company, Across Rainbows Productions, and Film for YouTube. So if you didn't get to come to one of the live shows, you can find these videos at your leisure on the Across Rainbows YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, give the videos a like, and leave any comments you may have. We also had several authors participate in the shows, and Kemptown Bookshop were on hand to sell signed books by the authors. You can check out this beautiful bookshop in the heart of Brighton, but make sure you take your credit card because you will not leave empty-handed. The shows feature a panel of guests where we'll be talking all things queer and an audience Q&A too, an opportunity for everyone to get involved in the conversation. In this episode, we'll be discussing queer sex. The show features author Harry Nicholas, performer Billy Gold, author Yorel Benitez-Borrego, and the chief executive of the Terence Higgins Trust, Richard Angel. I hope you enjoy the show. So whatever you're up to, this is your time to settle down, relax and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Queer I Am. Um, so today we're talking queer sex, and there's a lot of people here, so I'm thinking that everyone wants to have a bit of a chat about sex, which is very nice. Love this. Um, so yeah, welcome. This is um, a live show um, over the next five weeks. I think we've got five more episodes. 
and being filmed for YouTube and released on the podcast platform as well. And uh, yeah, it's amazing to have all of our guests here today talking about this topic. So thank you all very, very much for coming along and speaking with me. It's very exciting. And big thank you to Arco Bellano, uh, to Nick, Luciana, the whole team here for uh, this incredible venue as well. And of course, to Across Rainbows Productions who are filming this for YouTube. Um, so it'll be available in about three weeks time to watch as well, which is really exciting. If you fancy another listen and another watch. Um, I'm probably going to watch it back because you just have to, don't you? Um, we're going to do an audience Q&A after we've done the initial conversation. There's going to be some book sales. My lovely husband is over there fulfilling his lifelong ambition to be a bookseller. So please go and buy books. <laughs> we have some amazing books over there. And of course, we have Harry's book, which isn't out yet. So um, you can go and get your early copy. And it's incredible. I've been reading it this week. So please go and get a copy of that. Um, we also have some amazing leaflets for Billy's show for this week. Uh, so Billy has a new show. Do you want to talk about your show? Yeah, I actually think I left them on the table, but <laughs> I will come and do it in a minute. Uh, my show is out on Friday. It's called Praise Kink, which is quite fitting for our conversation yes. today, isn't it? And it's across three nights. It's the 19th, 20th and 21st. So if you do want to come along, please do. It should be fun. And that's uh, at a little theatre called The Ironworks. So it should be great. It's going to be amazing. Um, and yeah, and so with the audience Q&A, this is a safe space. I say this every week, but we really want people to get involved and join the conversation. So if anyone has any questions, please ask the panel members um, when we come to that point of the show. Um, really happy to take questions. And um, I think David's got a few stored up. So, <laughs> But no, we really want to keep the conversation going and it's important that everyone joins in. So, um, so yeah, please get involved. So I think I've done all the things I need to do. So I'm going to start with how I start every show. Billy will know this because I've interviewed her before. So if you all had to pick a song to reflect your mood right now, what would your songs be? And I'm going to start with Billy. Oh, no. <laughs> we had this problem when we interviewed before. You couldn't think of one, could you? <laughs> no, I couldn't. And also, it was very early in the morning. I'm a sort of, That was nine o'clock in the morning. That was middle of the night for me. Um, I suppose, because I'm getting ready for the show and it's, it's quite stressful, um, but good. So I'm kind of between the point of sisters, I'm so excited, and Dolly Parton's Baby, I'm Burning. Oh, nice. Bit of dolly, lovely. Yeah. Nice. Did you sing that? I hope so. So I haven't introduced the guest. I haven't done everything. No, sorry. Please welcome <laughs> Billy Gold. Hello. <laughs> I knew I'd forgotten something. Richard Angel, who is the CEO of the Terence Higgins Trust. <laughs> Harry Nicholas, author of The Trans Man Walks Into a Gay Bar, the brand new book. <laughs> and up and coming author, Yorel Benitez Borrego. <laughs> Now we can choose our music. Sorry, folks. I, I knew I'd forgotten something. <laughs> Richard, what would your song be? Not how I'm feeling now, but I saw it on the telly yesterday and it's just stuck with me, is the song Sexy Boys. And it was played and it reminded me of when I first heard it on TV. And it's in that second episode of Queer as Folk where Nathan has had sex for the first time and goes back to school and he knows that he's got gay power and he's queer and fabulous and he's walking around seeing all these people that used to bully him thinking, I don't care because I'm gay and I've had sex and none of you have and just going through. <laughs> and it was just, I, I, I've never seen music put to TV in a better yeah. light than that. And for some reason it was on TV last night and it just took me back to watching that for a first time as a 15-year-old, having turned the colour off the TV, having turned the sound off, put the subtitles on, and watching it, ready to turn it off just in case Someone somebody walked in. in. <laughs> and that just feeling of that kind of excitement that Queer as Folk was bringing and the fear of being caught doing it and just that brilliant moment. 
and uh, yeah, and having had a Nathan moment myself, thinking how fabulous that was, and all Amazing. these kind of. So yeah, so that that I saw it on telly yesterday, and it's just kind of stuck with me and keeps playing through nice. in my mind. Sexy boys love that. Harry, uh, I mean, arguably not a cultural moment, but uh, I. I've in my head cha 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 from Eurovision <laughs> at the weekend. I cannot get out of my head. It's there. So if you see me dancing later, it's that. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's been in my head all day. I can't get it out. Please, someone help. Um, yeah. And how was Eurovision? Did you? Have oh fun? my god, it was amazing. I've not quite recovered yet. Uh, yeah, it was insane. I would yeah fully recommend rewatching it and and going if you have the, have the chance. Yeah, absolutely. Yorel, sorry, there's just a noise. I don't know what's coming from. Yorel, <clears throat> what would your song be, darling? My pussy is like a peach. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> is that I was, a song or are you just saying that? <laughs> it, it's from Theresa May. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm joking. Uh, but it's a really good song. Um, I was about to say cha-cha-cha as well, but you said it already. So let's say Tattoo from Lorene or any, any of the... Good, have a really good songs this year, like Solo or... Oh, so, yeah, so, so it did go through my head a bit, but yeah, I'm always going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, we saw Abba the Abba show on Saturday. We went to Abba Voyage, which was amazing. So I've kind of had Abba in my head. But my song today, I think, is S and M Rihanna. because I was feeling a bit sexy. I was like, oh yeah, this is a good, a good, a good tune. It's a bit. It's one of those ones you can really kind of like. I say bang to, but I meant dance. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean that as well. <laughs> you could, yeah, you could do that too. So. We are obviously talking about sex today, and I want this to be a really open discussion. Obviously, I want everyone to feel comfortable on the panel. Oh, <laughs> speaking of sex, <laughs> the nipples are out. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to ask, first of all, how important you think it is for conversations like this to be had about sex? Because I think growing up, sex was always a bit of a taboo subject in my house. No one ever talked about it. It was quite embarrassing. You know, you didn't really speak about it. And I think many families that I knew were kind of the same, really. And as I've got older, I've tried to be a bit more liberated and talk openly about sex. So what do you all think about that? How do you think, or how important do you think it is for us to keep this conversation going? Harry, should we start with you? Uh, yeah, I think it's, in, it's really important. And you say that, um, you know, we don't really speak about sex uh, in your family and, and I didn't as well but you know even less um we're talking about queer sex and even less than that trans sex um I think it's probably a conversation not happening and in my book it was really important to ha- write about sex I think a lot of the time it's kind of assumed that trans people don't have sex or no, or no one will want to have sex with you it just isn't the case um so it's really important to include some of that uh, in the book good and bad and um encounters with uh, uh, healthcare professionals as well that didn't quite understand the sex I was having. Um, I write quite candidly in the book about uh, going to a pharmacy to get Pan B or the morning after pill and just being outright refused because a body like mine just couldn't possibly exist in their mind. So um, when we talk about sex and education, it's not just about um, safety, but it's also about the pleasure of sex that we can have as well and, and, and consent and all these things. So yeah, absolutely important. I'm really pleased that we can have a, a space out here to talk about it. And also the different variations of queer sex as well yeah. that, that that we can have um yeah amazing billy yeah it's an interesting one really i grew up um in a very conservative household as well and um it wasn't it wasn't really talked about um to a point where um and especially women's enjoyment that just wasn't a thing in sex so i kind of i came out really late i came out at 27 was what i thought was late um and if you were around a tv that had a gay kiss on the tv it got turned off so there was never the chance to talk about there was sex was never a part of the conversation in our household because it was always a thing that was 
forgive me for want of a better phrase, done to women and not involving women. So I kind of grew up in this very heteronormative way and just assuming that what I was doing, I must have been broken then because I didn't, I wasn't enjoying it. And had I had conversations about sex, about consent, about um, what we wanted and advocating for ourselves, I probably would have had the resources to come out much earlier and have a talk about that, but it was never done. And I'm really glad to see that... um, Consent, especially because um, if you're like me and into BDSM, consent is a huge part of, um, you know, surprise, it's in the show. Uh, (laughs) Not live. Um, (laughs) But consent was never a thing. And I'm I'm talking, even in in heterosexual relationships that I was in, consent was never part of the discussion, sadly. And I'm really glad to see that that's got more of a platform now. And I'm glad to see that we're we're teaching it in schools. Um, However, you know sort of it needs to be for for children to understand that kind of thing but um yeah I think it's it's really hugely hugely important for both um and I think because I was brought up in a single parent household with with just a mum and a lot of my friends that have been brought up with a mum and a dad um there was always one parent that kind of skirted out that conversation and it needs to be a united front otherwise the weird continues and I think just removing the weird and talking about it properly gives people um power over their own bodies that's what I think interestingly am I on no have you flipped your thingy on mute sorry (laughs) um this was a a side question but sex for all of you i mean were you all inquisitive about sex at young age so as kids did you kind of like were you intrigued by bodies and by uh, (laughs) (laughs) well this is quite funny because I mean, you know, I've always been like watching, you know, this kind of horror. So there's always kind of a sexy scene or all of that. But my auntie was living with us at some point. And when she left, she had like a DVD. It was a porn, like straight <laughs> video. And it was like my secret fantasies. Amazing. So you can have an idea of what is the secret of the fantasies. But basically, my man didn't want me to watch it. Of course, I was like, I don't know, eight, nine? <laughs> yeah, understandably. But, but <laughs> basically, I was really curious about it. I watch it. But as well, I, I had so many questions. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to buy you a book, uh, this kind of cartoon book, so that you can see, oh, you can put your, whole in, your, your finger <laughs> in here, and this is a penis, and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, but I have more questions. It's like, no, 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 everything is in the book. And it's like... <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> I think parents are scared to... I, I mean, I, I was very inquisitive. I mean, I've, I've written about this and I read this to you today. I had a, a friend who was a girl who, when I was about eight or nine, and we would always get naked together. And we loved it. We'd have a snog, we'd play with each other's bits, everything would kind of do what it needed to do. And I was really young and we got caught and I was in so much trouble. And I felt shame at like eight or nine. And I think... I don't know. My parents, I mean, it was so funny, really. When I think about it now, my parents did not know how to have the conversation with me. My mum kind of talked about it. My dad just kind of stood, <laughs> stood there in the corner kind of going, oh, God, you know. But I think this is probably more common than we realise. I think kids are kind of intrigued by it. And actually, 80s, 90s, growing up, parents just didn't talk about it openly. So when you then come to discover sex, it's like, what do I do? And what does that look like? And And then you discover porn and you think well this is sex clearly no it's not but it's like do you know what i mean it's but it's it's very very dangerous were you gonna say something on that richard 
it's this sense that kind of parents contract out the sex chat, basically. Yeah. It's like, I've bought you a book, that will do it for you. Yeah. Where the and babies then, come from. <laughs> and exactly, and almost leaving it to porn to fill in yeah. the gaps. And that's, I think, what's really destructive and really problematic. I don't particularly want to talk with my parents or my siblings about sex. That's not really um, a thing. I don't want to conceive of them really thinking about it, even though I wouldn't be here without it. But um, And I don't really want them to talk to me about the sex I have. And I know I was absolutely obsessed when I was coming out that I wasn't going to come out as having a form of sex but having a form of love and I came out when I had a boyfriend and that was the platform I wanted to tell my family about was not that I'm gay and about my identity but about I've got a boyfriend and I want you to accept that and go on that journey with me and that felt very very important to me at the time and of course initially the view went straight to sex and my mum was completely obsessed about um, anal sex and was clearly that was going through her mind constantly that that's what I would be um, put through <laughs> little did she know and um, I'd already one I'd already done it by that time and, um, and it's thoroughly enjoyable when consensual and um, and lots of lube involved yes. and um, get your THD packs of condoms they always come with lube the um, and uh, uh, but, but, but equally, but what I think parents have a duty to do, and you saw this in Heartstoppers done so beautifully, is make that space to talk about relationships, to talk about the journey you might be on, to talk about the fact that it might be fluid, that it might change, that it yeah. might be, uh, you might be open to new things. Um, and then ideally have the relationship with your parents where you can be the repository for some of those conversations. And crucially, so many, particularly the women that I know, experience so much, whether it's there's a spectrum from sexual harassment to outright abuse and of course men experience it too um, and everybody on the gender spectrum in between that actually having your family there as a repository if the sex you're having isn't enjoyable the consent which you can take away at any given moment Mm -hmm. um, including during um, if that doesn't go to plan you want your parents to be the first people to be there because we know the most important thing if it does go bad is that somebody believes you and if your own parents don't believe you, the chance you're going to get a criminal justice system too. So I think rather than having the sex conversation with your parents, it's incumbent on parents to open the relationship conversation and to make sure that people are safe, consensual and informed about the things they want to go on to do. And the, the thing that can never be any good is sex with shame. The two only add up to a toxic mix. And I think it's incumbent on parents, considering you have to have sex to have your children, that it's incumbent when you make that decision that you at that point try and demystify sex for the next generation. I think it's, I guess it's parents seeing children as adults. It's making that transition, isn't it? It's, I think that can be quite difficult for some parents to actually see you as an individual, as an adult, without, you know, that having that that parental kind of figure, um, seeing you as an equal i think that can be quite a challenge i agree with you i wouldn't want to have sex conversations with my parents but i guess it's you're right if there's support there and you have an open relationship with your family where you can discuss openly that's really important and healthy i guess um okay what about in terms of the media so we have so much sex in music adverts films tv all that kind of stuff that's kind of acceptable but do you think i mean we're having this open conversation now but do you think there is still an underlying taboo about sex in society or do you think it's getting better billy i've had a thought about this one so um there is a taboo around sex but it seems to be um i don't know if we've we've got any any gay women in the room but um i've experienced it a lot where 
people accept lesbian if, lesbianism if it's pretty to them and if it's viewable by the male gaze. So I think we, we have so many like raunchy music videos and stuff like that. Rihanna's parading around in a thong. Janelle Monae's just come out with a fan, frankly fantastic new music video. And that's com- completely, someone's seen it, lovely. Um, it's, it's completely accepted and celebrated and it's great. And then you've got Sam Smith that comes out and people instantly, oh, no, I don't want to look at that. So it's still, I think it goes further than the taboo and it's, it's still, it, comes, it boils down to policing bodies, basically, what makes it acceptable and viewable to, to a, I don't want to say the words patriarchal society, but patriarchal society. Yeah, but I think, I think that's... <laughs> so, yeah, there's a huge taboo around it and I think um, people are very quick to judge what they themselves don't understand. Um, and there will always be taboos as long as we have, um, what's the word? Help me out here. Stuff that people don't like, you know what I mean? Shame. Shame, shame. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, there will always be taboos as, as, as long as we have shame, I think. What do you think, Harry? Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much more to add than that. I think you explained it brilliantly um, in that I think there are acceptable forms of bodies and there are bodies that people deem unacceptable or um yeah and so they're judged differently uh because of that i yeah completely agree yeah i think the media are hypocrites is the truth they're there to kind of put a mirror up to society and point out people with power that are hypocrites but they of course have power and use it completely um with hypocrisy themselves they use sex to sell and they use sex to shame and to embarrass people uh, in, a, in other senses. So I think that's sadly part of the terrain. And in a weird way, if you accept it, you actually take away some of its power um, and the exceptionalism of what they do because it actually isn't exceptional um, when they do it. So I think that's uh, really important just to kind of acknowledge that and then actually diminish the role of uh, some of those things. You know, we've seen recent examples with how Gareth Thomas has been trying to be kind of hauled over the coals um, for how he treated, you know, HIV and then talking to his partner about it and all the interaction with that. People trying to sensationalise it in a way that's clearly um, unfair, wrong and wishing to perpetrate stigma uh, in others. I think there's a really... um, I mean, I watched a documentary recently about George Michael and, you know, he was absolutely, you know, slammed by the press um, in terms of, like, going cruising and having sex with people um, consensually and then came back with a music video with, like, glitter and urinals and everyone was kind of, like, you know, felt... I think, you know, having seen a lot of those headlines would have felt a lot of shame and then for him to come back and use that as power and queerness I think was a really brave um, and courageous move for him to do. I think would have empowered a lot of other people as well to say, yeah, this is the kind of sex we have and, yeah, we like it. Um, so the inter- I watched that documentary, which was amazing, but the interesting thing is, like, when you watch the headlines and the media coverage in America during that, after the cruising incident, I shouldn't even say incident, after he went cruising, <laughs> but it's like... Have have things changed that much now? I mean, if you look at some of the headlines, like we talked about Sam Smith, and we're, we're still people are still sensationalizing things or shaming people. I mean, that was extreme, you know, with George Michael back in I think it was ninety eight or something. But I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of thing still happened in the British media today. Isn't the exciting thing about the Sam Smith was the reaction to it and that people who were you know, gravitated to him, he had in minutes what George Michael took a kind of news cycle plus what it took to get a music video out to do that cycle. I think Sam took the whole country and much of the world on that journey in a very short period of time. I think the bit where this becomes really problematic is when 
sex and healthcare interrelate. So we saw it in the PrEP debate that the idea, there was this kind of that the government shouldn't sponsor people to be promiscuous. Mm. And you see that constantly, whether it's with uh, contraception, with uh, PrEP, pay for condoms, etc. People are trying to controversialise the role of government being in that space. Mm. But we have a country where we decide the government should be in that space because we're collectively responsible for each other's healthcare. And that's a really important part of it. Mm. And I think you see that... And one of the things that we're conscious of an organisation is how we go into that space responsibly and make sure we do that. And then you see the other side of it when MPOX has an outbreak and you see people who are somehow, the responsibility is to not have sex. Well, having sex is as natural as breathing. Yes. So, you know, we've got to kind of normalise that in yeah. part of the conversation. Some people can't go without having sex. That is part of how they live their life, affirm their well-being, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So just saying, now's the time you can't do it because there's been this outbreak, mm-hmm. is actually really problematic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what we've got to do is give people choices and empower people to know what they're doing with their lives and their bodies rather than so, somehow take it away from them. Shaming them, yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> I mean, it's just, I think it's about sexualizing because, like, you've been talking about Sam Smith. It's like, because it's not, it's not normative. Society is just all saying nasty things but if you see like TV shows like Queer as Folk the, the American one is what I watch or Elite you just see like like handsome people and good bodies and all of that but you don't you don't I mean now it's getting a bit better but it looks like if you're talking about queer sex and all of that has to be with someone that is normative and good looking and, and good body and all of that but if not it's just getting hate so it's just mm. you know, it's something that it's almost like idealism isn't it kind of thing and it's it? not it's not real because no. first you don't go to high school and you're just massively muscled you know it's, it's like it's not real and, and you know yes it's entertained yes but do we got a bit more real you know like yeah. Hardstopper and, and all of that yeah, yeah. absolutely so what does sex to mean mean to all of you individually? God, that's a mind. big question, <laughs> isn't it? Wow! You don't mind oh my answering gosh. that question. Look at you both looking at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you definitely know what you know what you think about that. <laughs> Come on, we're all expecting a class now. <laughs> class, you will not get from me. Um, I think sex. I mean, it can mean so many different things. I mean, I'm pretty positive, like knowing what I know about a sexual expression now I'm pretty sure that my mum is asexual because that wasn't a conversation she always sort of went oh no when we talked about anything to do with sex I never saw her with boyfriends or anything like that she just doesn't like sex which is fine it's absolutely fine she can express intimacy in other ways um for me it's a little bit different I think I had a complicated relationship with sex um when I was younger and wanting, just like, didn't really know what I was doing, um, you know, the Barbies lived together in the house and Ken went that way. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know. I didn't know any of that and I didn't know how to talk, to talk about it or how to express myself. So I kind of fell into a heteronormative role because that's what you do. And it, I had a very damaging relationship with sex because of that, almost sort of um, self-destructive because I didn't really know what I was supposed to feel. Um, And then when I did finally come out and I went, oh no, (laughs) that's what the problem was for all this time. And now I think that I really try and view sex as as an empowerment for my own body and not try and view it as and I think a lot of people have a complicated relationship with sex I enjoy sex it's great it's a it's a great way to express the relationship you have with someone or indeed yourself um 
But yeah, I have I had a complicated relationship with sex and I think that I'm only now just viewing it as non-transactional. I know that sounds awful, but having been an ex-sex worker, um, you're kind of taught to see yourself as a commodity and not something that you can share with yourself or with other people in a loving way. You're taught to see it as what can I gain from this or how can I make them like me? Um, and I think when you start having fulfilling relationships with people that um, advocate for you as well as themselves and can communicate properly what they want and need, I think it becomes much more um, enlightening. I mean, I'm 32. I've had more, oh my God, moments in the last two years than I have in my whole life. But that I think is important as well, not viewing sex as... Um, something you can only have lots of when you're young. Yeah. Because, you know, ageing is inevitable. You can't stop it. And people don't have to automatically become less sexual as they age. And I think for me that's been a really important thing because we don't see much of that in the media. We don't see much of, you know, people over 25 having sex on TV. Um, and I think that is, uh, that's really important to try and sort of absorb. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Richard? If you'd like I feel very lucky. I've always had a really good relationship with sex and I have um, always seen it about um, the pleasure of my partner as much as the pleasure for myself and I've really enjoyed that and think I get more out of it for um, putting it more in for it for that. I remember I used to um, advise my female friends uh, when I was young that their boyfriend should all have some gay sex at some point because they learn that it's not just about them. Uh, that's what the other man would teach them. And, um, and uh, some of them took me up on the advice and it improve because of it and I think so I've always been really lucky from from that point of view and it's why I feel able to do the job that I do and be in a sex positive organization trying to bring about a more sex positive country but I know that's not everyone's experience but hopefully that means I can open up that conversation for other people um, about what it could be and what we can start with new conversations about what it could be yeah, absolutely Harry yeah sex has been really important for my sense of identity I think um so I understood myself when I was younger as a lesbian and then a questioning person and then now a gay man. So having those different sexual experiences with different people and bodies have meant that it's kind of helped me understand who I am and what I like and don't like. Um, and I think as well, like more recently um, going to gay spaces, because I never felt like I was enough as a trans man, um, I in gay spaces specifically, always sort of use sex as a way of sort of proving my gayness or queerness. And um, I think, yeah, battled a little bit with sex addiction and like constantly being on the apps and trying to always find like the next shag or whatever um, because it would like fuel my own sense of self, um, which I think ultimately is 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 a battle that you have to face. And um, I think it's something that not just trans men, but like a lot of gay men in general, um, come to terms with and I remember reading Matthew Todd's straight jacket and he spoke about it very candidly in there and actually found very affirming ah oh, this is what's what's happening to me I'm using it to feel like I'm, I'm enough or you know to battle the shame or whatever it might be um but for me sex has taken loads of different types of like you know it's gone from you know two vaginas or uh, or a, a penis and a vagina or like two penises whatever it might be two sums three sums however many sums whatever um it's it's never just been one thing um and sexual health as well has been a big, big part of that in terms of going to a sexual health clinic and going this is the type of sex that i have and them often just looking like completely bemused by it um so it's been yeah massively important for all kinds of different reasons 
Amazing. Well, for me, it's funny because for me, when I was like very young, very teenager, I'm still young, you know, but like a teenager was penetration. It's like, if you don't have penetration, you don't have sex. It's like, it's, it's what you learn in the TV shows and all of that. It's just about penetration. But with the time, I'm, I'm learning that actually it's not that important if you are top or you are a bottom. It's like, first thing on Grindr, top or bottom? Hello, um, how are you? This is my name. Um, you know, do I fancy you? It's like, no, or even the drag queens. You know, it's something that I really hate and think we, we discuss about yeah. this, being anywhere, the old, mo most, most likely the old one saying, oh, are you top about bottom? It's like, it's not your fucking business, you know? And, and, and even though if it's a trans person, like, even though, why are you asking that? It's rude, you know? But now with the time, I learned that sex is not about penetration, it's about... Intimacy is about love. It's you, know, you can have a chat with someone random, yeah, and you can enjoy. But I feel like when you have a moment like kisses or you know intimacy, closeness, it can be sex as well. You don't need to even, you know, mm, get it out. <laughs> get it, get it out. You know, and and it's it's there is a lot of ways to understanding sex. It's not just oral or 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 you know um, a wong. No, it's it's. Even a kiss and, and a really nice affection. intimate moment, affection, it can be sex, you know, it's, sex can be whatever you want. I think what it's really interesting that some of the comments here, and I think something that I've, made, I've written down here is about what I feel is there is a bit of a hierarchy in the gay community. And I don't know if it's prevalent in the lesbian community, but in the gay community, I definitely think it's there. And it's very much like, you know, you see it on Grinder, top or bottom, mass for mass, no femmes, da 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 da. And it's, I don't know. I feel like people are really missing an opportunity to have really amazing sex with people and connect with people just on superficial, on a superficial basis. There's something going on with the speaker. <laughs> Hopefully it won't blow, it will be fine. <laughs> blow being the operative word. Um, but but um, do you all feel that? I mean, do you, do you, do you feel that there is a hierarchy? Have, from your experiences of being on apps or just interacting in the community, do you think that is really prevalent and actually... Is that an issue? Yes. I mean, you just go on, on Grindr. It's, it's like, uh, oh, yes, I want to top you all the time. It's just about all penetration. All penetration. Most of the time it's penetration. There is more. Even go for a coffee, go for a drink. Know me a bit more what I like, but you just want penetration. Come and go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not about that, mm -hmm. you know? We have to learn more about our, our bodies and what we like each other. You can't just randomly meet someone and say, okay... What do you like? Because you need a bit of, you know, intimacy with a person and talk about that. Say, yeah, I like it in this way and all of that. But if it's just something quick, you might not I guess you can it. you can hook up with people, but it's the reality the is the level of that intimacy or feeling comfortable with that person is probably going to be hmm. quite different compared yeah. to if you know someone. I was reading your book last night and your experiences of downloading the Grinder app and the messages and how overwhelming it was. And, you know, I've used Grindr before and I completely got that. I was like, you know, it's, it's first of all, I find it exhausting. I mean, it's just, it's one of those apps where it's just like, ping, ping, ping. Not that I get pinged that much, love it, but you know. <laughs> but when, if I did get pinged, it would ping, 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 ping. And, and then it's like all those kind of conversations and, you know, and it's, it's, I find it very toxic. I mean, do you want to talk about your experience with kind of using it for the first yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what you're 
saying here is there's a chapter in my book um, about Grinder and downloading it for the first time and sort of exploring gayness from like the safety of my bedsheets almost um, and being able to sort of ex- explore that way. But um, for me, I actually found like growing up as a girl, I always found that everyone was like, oh, your first time has to be really special with the right person. Mm-hmm. And I actually found it really affirming as a gay guy just for how to, to go on Grindr and have a shag like, and, and find it very transactional. I found that very, I don't know, um, I quite liked that and I do quite like transactional sex for that. I know it has its toxicity and it has its problems and absolutely we should be having better conversations. But I also acknowledge that there's a reason why we go on these apps and have them still on our phones so that there's a part of us that, that likes it or finds it sexy. And, you know, I go to saunas. I'm in a group chat with other trans men that go to saunas and, like, have anonymous sex. So there's, there's still something there that, that we want and that we need um, that I still find really hot, even though we should also be having a balance of... Um, sex that is, you know, obviously consensual, but also has, you know, the other person at its, at its heart. But I think there's, there's a balance to be had. Like the, the sex that I'm going to have with a hookup is not the same sex that I'm going to have with my boyfriend, right? Yeah. Like, um, so there's, it's, it's very nuanced. It's not just a case of, I think there's one thing that fits all. But the, this chapter that you're saying is, yeah, it was very overwhelming to download a gay app. And there's kind of a whole language to it that I'd never known before. Like, what does top and bottom mean? And where do I fit into it as a guy with a pussy? Like, I don't, double bottom? Like, I don't really know that <laughs> fit, that works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it, there was a there was a whole new language and words and tribes as they're referred to on yeah. there or or whatever. And it, it was it was a whole new world. But I also really liked that. I found that very affirming for my gender and sexuality as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important when you talk about like going to saunas and hookups. And there is no shame in any of that. You know, it's everyone should be free to live the life they want to live sexually and otherwise. But I think it's for me, it's just about how we can make those experiences nicer. Like sometimes it can, I know maybe, maybe I'm, I don't know, it's cloud nine, but it, you know, like it, I don't know, grinder for me was just very toxic. It can be quite depersonalizing, can't yeah. it? And dehumanizing. I suppose uh, often the question after the kind of top or bottom question, which in itself kind of stratifies people unnecessarily is, are you clean? And that kind of re-stigmatizing of HIV and STIs and this idea that somehow you've done something bad if you're on an app and you've had gonorrhea or chlamydia or got to a bit of living with HIV. I was like, I think this might have been transmitted by the thing you're looking for today. Like, yeah. And if we just change that view that somehow you're the bad person for transmitting, it's like we're all responsible for our sexual health. Absolutely. We all can go into this space knowingly and asking that question, you know, have you tested recently? is a much nicer way in that are you clean and how pejorative Mm. that is and how uh, weighted that is as a term. And I'd much rather have sex with somebody who is in charge of their sexual health and knows what they're doing with it. Mm. And of course, the great thing about how HIV has changed over 40 years is that people living with HIV who take the medication can't pass it on. So the safest person you can have sex with if you're worried about HIV transmission is somebody who's living with HIV, knows their status and takes their medication. Mm. That's the... the, uh, you know, the sex that you don't have to worry about. That's the sex that you can kind of lay back and enjoy or, or whatever way you end up doing it. The, um, and you go for it. And then everything short of that is about other people who manage their sexual health in different ways. Absolutely. And I think just, if I could change one thing about those apps is that are you clean yeah. comment and everything that goes from that and how um, it, because it, it then I think adds into the transactional relationship power. Yeah. The idea that somehow if you were to be unclean, 
you've got a very different power. It's, a, it's such a value judgment. And I think, yeah, it really adds to the transaction, that element of power. And that's Absolutely. worrying, I think. Yeah, completely. Sorry, so oh. Billy, is there an equivalent app for, for gay women? Like, like um, So it's a bit different in the lesbian community. I'm just angry we don't have animals because you guys have bears and otters and things. And I'm <laughs> so, what have we got? Squirrels or something. Um, <laughs> uh, um, squirrel. <laughs> squirrel would be a good one, I think. Or mermaids. I think I'd identify as a squirrel. What, sorry? Mermaids. Mermaids. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Uh, no, I think it is a bit different in lesbian communities. We tend to we tend to chat a lot, to be honest. Um, <laughs> we do, and we don't have um, one thing. I do wish that we had um, was was a hookup app. We don't really have one. We have like we have Hinge or we have you know her, and it's it's all very talky apps. We don't have um, an app where you can just meet someone for the night, have a really lovely exchange, and then go back to your lives. And I think that's something we should have as women. Um, or, or lesbians. Uh, more is that just as common in the lesbian community as it is in the gay community in terms of hooking up, you know, meeting people, kind of. Yeah, we just don't have an app for it. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so, which is a yeah. I mean, I have gone to. I prefer to meet people in the flesh because, mm. you know, I'm I'm that sort of chick really. But uh, I do go to kink meetups, which is I've never found a group of people so nice and so you know wanting to get to know who you are and what you're about because we like brains um so it doesn't really matter who i'm talking to if they've got a nice brain i want to lick it um so but uh, no we don't have a hookup app unless i've not found it and you're not all telling me um anyone know no we don't we don't let's make one i agree i agree Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey. I, um, 
I've got quite. A, I think it's quite funny. I've, I had a very British experience at the sauna, so um, I <laughs> I hadn't been to one before, and um, I can't believe I'm telling this. But anyway, I hadn't been to one before, and um, I kind of looked around, and I was quite impressed. There was Pringles and water and <laughs> food. If you got hungry, I thought this is very nice. I like Which sauna was this? A Pringles. I, it's in Hove. It's yeah. Anyway, it's in Hove. <laughs> it's in Hove. Yeah. Hove actually, and. Like, we, I went upstairs, and there was this guy completely stark as enjoying a bit of porn, having a wank. And I was like, okay, this is nice. And um, he was very gifted. And I, you know, when you look a couple of times and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's you know. So he kind of gave me a nod, and I went, oh, no, thank you very much, but it's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been back. I don't think it's my, my place. But, you know, it was one of those experiences where you just kind of walk out and go, why? <laughs> you know, last time that I went to a sauna, I ended up watching Glee at two in the morning. So <laughs> it was, I almost have a panic attack, and there was no bus, and it was raining. So, yes. And wasn't someone watching you? Like, eh? Someone watching you having a wank while you're watching Glee? Is that... No, it was someone pass out. Oh. <laughs> I think maybe from Poppers. <laughs> oh my goodness, amazing. So I want to talk about porn as well. I'm kind of getting onto all the nitty gritty here, but I think it's, it's good. So I watch porn. I like porn. I like OnlyFans, like Twitter. Twitter's like the biggest porn site in the world. Basically, you know, I typed in Madonna, five men came up all doing like a train of sex. <laughs> so, you know, the, the random things you can get when you go into Twitter. Um, but I, when I grew up, I really felt a sense of shame. And I think I probably learned a lot about, well, I, I say I learned a lot about sex. I didn't because it was all a bit false. But that was my kind of sex education as a young queer person. There was nothing out there for me to kind of explore and understand, I guess. Um, and I guess sex work is so much more kind of everyday mainstream now like you've got so many people on only fans and twitter and all that kind of stuff so i kind of feel like the the shame maybe is going maybe from what it was like 20 years ago but i might be wrong so what are your thoughts on porn and do you think that we are getting into more of a healthier place with it or is there still kind of work to do and billy i've got an answer for that one yeah <laughs> um, so i've watched and made porn um sort of yeah oh god i think porn so many people learn from porn which is kind of unfortunate because people tend to learn from porn that is mass produced and kind of bashed out quickly for want of a better phrase um and it teaches people um so, such stupid and fanciful ideas like you can just walk into someone's house and they're ready and ready and able to have sex with you which is not the case for anybody um I don't care who you are that's not that's not the case um and I think for me I tend to watch ethical porn so I find an OnlyFans creator that I like I pay the lovely lady the money and then I watch the porn um I don't particularly like going to mainstream porn accounts because unfortunately the things do live in there like revenge porn so people may not know that they're on there um there are quite a few videos of me floating about on the internet somewhere i'm very sure um i turned to making porn when i was uh, very poor so it was a necessity which means it wasn't exactly the best experience and i think that's that's one thing to think about when you are viewing porn is to go to an ethical creator that enjoys their job um and uh maybe not go to campsites <laughs> that's where that's where I was and um I spoke to a lot of women it's not like you you do your job and you don't speak to anyone else who does it we have a chat room because we're talking about you um 
but we all sort of shared the same views it can be exhausting but it can also be very fulfilling you get to explore things um doing sex work that you you wouldn't normally do sometimes you think find things out about yourself i certainly did got into sploshing do you know what that is um so I think, yeah, porn is both a good thing and a very, very cursed thing. I will answer. tell us. I will, yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so splashing is um, the act of using food or mess during sex. So chucking baked beans at each other and things like that. But that can be very fun. And I think that sort of roams over into the kink world, which isn't always about touching each other's bodies and having penetrative sex. Sometimes it's a completely different thing. You've got people who are into all sorts. And I think when you do learn, start to learn and explore in the porn world, you might stumble onto some weird stuff or you might sort of stumble into a thing and you go oh I couldn't actually what is that and then you and then you learn things about yourself and then off you go with it so I think it's both lovely and very cursed at the same time absolutely well I have to say since I was a teenager I've been very naughty you know and I remember you know recording myself with my ex and and you know having sex and all of that and the most like far thing that I did was being on cam 4 does anyone know cam 4 I yes. bet yeah. yes yes <laughs> But yes, I did it a couple of times and I was like, well, I'm, I'm just being here like three hours wonking and, and, and just got like $10. So it's like, oh, it's, it's not worth it, you know, but mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's about what you say. If it's ethical and, and, and people do it because they want and, and it's real, then okay. But if you just see the, the like the... This website is not real and you can just see massive cocks and all that. That's not real. You have to have a bit of everything because it's not all about the size of the penis or, you know, there is more things, more bodies. You have to show more. So I don't know if I explain myself. No, no, I I think completely, yeah. And I think I like the whole ethical thing that you mentioned. I think there's a lot of queer baiting as well. I've seen a lot of... So on Instagram now, there is a lot of straight guys oh, yes. I think yes. like I don't know wearing no pants and conveniently skipping in their garden and you know all that kind of stuff and it's like check out my OnlyFans and there are people on and I know this because I've been stung because one of them was quite fit and I thought well I'll just have a little look and it was it's not there's not sex it's just they are literally just teasing and it's they're then charging 12 quid a time and it, I don't know it's I know everyone's got to make money or whatever but is that just take... I kind of feel like if you're going to interact and like try and attract a queer audience, mm. actually have the sex. Well, it like, also... Do, it also do... You know, I just... I'm sorry, but it's just like... I mean, literally, there's this guy, he was having sex with another guy wearing a strap-on and he had a penis. So they're happy to do that to make money because of queer baiting and then charging £25 a video, but not actually willing to go through with it. And I also like, think it devalues sex work. Yeah, it does, it's yeah. A, you know... But well, finish that point. I was just going to say it's, it's a job. It's a very hard job. So if you are devaluing sex work, then it's yeah, then kind of shame on you, really, because it's uh, there's people that put a lot of time, effort, energy into their marketing, into their social media, yeah. into their into their fan base. It's a long ass job. I was crap at it, but one you know, of these guys. One of these guys has a million followers on Twitter. So there are people looking at this, but they're voluntary followers. They've not done. Like, and if there's a pattern to their behaviour, then their followers know what they're doing, right? And they, I think, isn't it all about being informed and consent and just people knowing what, what, what's happening? But it's working, though, isn't it? What they're doing is working. They're attracting a million people into it. And then potentially they're going on to OnlyFans and then they're getting kind of robbed from not real content, I guess. But 
the thing is, why straight people, like straight men, let's talk about straight men, okay? Um, they throw so much hate to the queer community and then they need to pretend that they're having sex with another man to get money from them. It's like, it's a bit hypocritical and there's a lot of straight guys that are doing it in OnlyFans. They're teasing, like you said, and then you subscribe and they're not even fucking or nothing. They're just playing around. Yeah. So why? Hmm. Are they the same men that are doing those two things? There are clearly straight men that are homophobic in their nature. Yeah. And then there are men that are being exploratory, whether they're doing it for yeah. money or for entertainment or yeah. for their self-esteem or all the other things. I just think what it's not, I don't think it's helpful to project anything onto that experience either. Like they're doing it for the reasons they're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, and I, th I think this queer baiting is really troubling the way that Harry gets treated the way poor Kit got treated for being not out um, on Heartstoppers and being kind of almost like forced into this place like let's people like take their journeys and some people have got a really windy road and that's fine and yeah. I think they'll get there and I think just the more power we put on these things mm. the more it can be destructive and, and the other way through you know ultimately the way the market works is you pay once you don't like it you don't pay again well, absolutely like you know if you have a bad coffee somewhere, you don't get to the same coffee shop. And it'll be the same mm -hmm. with this. And, mm -hmm. you know, I regret the kind of commodification of people's bodies and humanity in that sense. But it is, it's the oldest uh, job that's ever existed. Yeah. And I think, you know, as long as, long as people aren't duping their mm -hmm. followers, but I think very quickly you could work it out. Yeah. I was going to say, I have a very different relationship, I think, to porn because I, I came to porn very late. I, I was... 18, 19, um, I think my version of porn when I was growing up was like watching skins on YouTube, like <laughs> series one, episode nine, or whatever, um, in like 10 minute chunks. Uh, so not quite the same, but I, when I was searching for porn, I um, was looking to find bodies and people like me and I couldn't find them. There were near, well, I couldn't find any trans men actually that were doing porn at that point. I mean, now it seems to be a lot more, well, there seems to be a lot more people doing it for sure. I think FTM, like female to male as a porn category has, has grown exponentially um, for whatever reason uh, in the last couple of years. But I look to find people and bodies that might have the same as me and I, I couldn't find any. I found that really strange because the whole saying is like, oh, well, there's everything, you know, if you search a porn, there'll be anything and actually there wasn't anything so I found that really um really strange so it's been interesting to see the the rise of, of that specifically and I would say that when you search for like trans in you know whatever porn site we're using often it would be trans women uh that were coming up and I think that speaks to trans misogyny and misogyny in general and patriarchy but um I think yeah trans men have lost lost in that a little yeah, absolutely in terms of, I guess, and it's really interesting what we've all been talking about, and you talking about the, you know, the the situation. Actually, people will watch it once. If they don't like it, they can can move on. What about, I guess, going back to like sex education? And we talked about this earlier. You know, I didn't have queer sex education at school. I don't. I'm not sure how different the syllabus is now. I think obviously we can talk more openly about queer relationships in schools because Section 28 has been eradicated. But are we providing the right level of sex education? And I think a lot of teenagers will watch porn or they will look at Instagram and then see those bodies and those six packs and those chisel bodies or big breasts or whatever it might be. And that's what I need to aspire to. I mean, you can already see a trend of 20-somethings that have Botox or get their lips done or yeah. there's such a 
it, I know it's a bit of a minefield and it's, it may be going off topic a bit, but these things are really influential. So how do we keep that balance of making sure that people get the right education and that things like false only fans or porn or social media isn't causing an issue later down the line because i that troubles me i guess i think it's kind of getting worse than when i was a a kid so what do you all think about that i think sex education is always always framed by a group of people somehow it's like risky the opportunity of adults to talk to children they're going to do something awful and encourage them to do something um, utterly terrible and we've seen examples of irresponsible politicians um uh extrapolating uh stuff and projecting that into the classroom and suggesting that things uh might be done uh, age inappropriate or, or whatever that might be i think there's a lot of governance over this and people trying to do it but the risk is the other way is not knowing um about sex about bodies about change uh, and what's coming and we need to turn that dial that not educating people because the only way you have true power in that sexual relationship is by knowing your own body what you enjoy where things are uh, what you might want to do with somebody else and, and, and be able to see that through and knowing you have an absolute right to say no at any point, including during. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a really important thing uh, to come back to. So we've got to turn the dial on that. And regrettably, the government are doing this review. We've got to turn that into an opportunity mm-hmm. because the absence of sex education is why, actually, there's lots of toxic relationships, uh, power dynamics, um, and we've got to change that. And I think starting in the classroom is no bad place to do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And... Uh, well, I, I'm the most younger one in here, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. yes, I I am. <laughs> uh, like in 2016, I was in the high school. I remember, uh, like um, there was like a queer place. They came to the high school and they did like a kind of sex education it was a kind of basic just like well you know how to put a condom and all this like, well i know all of this already but they I, I've, I've seen i've seen that you know and the new generation i've seen already that happening so i bet it's happening but i bet as well you need more questions and as well talk about the risk mm-hmm. just know about oh you you can get pregnant as well you know talk about you know mm, you can get on a rear. You can. You need. You need to talk about the prep as well. It's. Uh, we are having TV shows now talking about that, but we still talk about more because if you don't know how you are going to prevent yourself from that, or even from the abusive and the toxic relationship, or, or or you know, consent, all of that is really important. It's just about how to put a condom. Yeah. You know that they are going to do a, a balloon with that. Yes. Yeah. We do need more of that, however, because if you have a bad experience with condoms the first time you use condoms, you are very unlikely to ever use them again. Yeah. So if you've got the wrong size, wrong shape, you put it on the wrong way around. Yeah. If it fails, and particularly if your erection fails along the condom thing, men will not try again mm-hmm. in lots of senses. And that's is a problem for people going forward. And so, we, you know, condoms are a thing that give people choice and power in the relationship and allows people a avenue, prep and other things or other ways, uh, long-term contraception, whatever, but allow people to have power in their sexual relationships. And so it's really important. So it's often dismissed this idea of trying on a condom or giving away condoms uh, to younger people, but it's actually really, really important. And we have programmes all around the country. We get out sample packs, have different sizes in it, some latex, some non-latex, and crucially include lube in the packs, as well as information about prep and other things. So people can have that and they can try it out. And obviously we call it a posh wank, a and we wank, encourage yeah. people to have uh, many a posh wank uh, in their younger years and throughout their lives. And it's a really important way of you learning your body and learning some of the limits. And I think that's a really important thing to do. And because there is prep for some people, um, doesn't mean that that works for everybody as a form of HIV transmission prevention. Uh, But equally, 
condoms are a useful way of preventing other STIs and other things. So I think it's just really important and letting people explore is the most uh, interesting thing, I think, and most important thing. Now, is this me just being a bit daft here, but different sizes and all that kind of stuff, was that a thing 20 years ago? Because I don't remember going into a shop and seeing different sizes and different options. It, like you went to Boots, there was like condoms, it was like Durex, that was kind of it. And then, I don't know. Not just different sizes, but also different colours. So you might have seen a brand called Rome that's come out, which has condoms in different shades of your skin colour to allow people uh, to have sex in a way that's very natural to them and reflective of Amazing. their race and their physical um, attributes in a way that can be part of that uh, relationship. But it's really important going forward. Whether it was in the... I'm mean, clearly penis divorce come in different sizes. Yeah. Um, but we, we, you know, we, I think they have existed in different sizes for a very long time. But I think we've got to try and normalise that. And what, there is a scheme across the country called C-cards where you can get a card and you can go to a number of pharmacists and other places. There's loads of them in Brighton and other places around the country. And you show this card and you can get a sample pack which has those different sizes in. And when you know what your size is, you can kind of indicate that you're looking for a particular size or whatever and a loop pack good. and whatever that goes with it. And so, and, and the hope is um, our, part, our, our colleagues at uh, Brooke have done a partnership with Rome about rolling out these different coloured condoms. I think that's really important for people mm. of colour to see themselves in those sexual moments and not have to be in a, um, a, a, a kind of white-centric yeah, uh, sex world. I absolutely. think that's really important. Absolutely. So the thing about condoms is is really interesting, actually, and the fact that maybe we should let you know high schoolers and stuff play with condoms because, I mean, my first sexual experience um, with a man went horribly because he didn't know how to use it. So we just were idiots and went, oh, it'll be all right. Spoiler alert, it isn't. Um, you know, and I think it's really important to get people used to condoms. Um, everyone, in fact. I didn't know when I came out that I had to use them on sex toys. And I was like, mm, what can I just wash? No. Um, and I think it's, it's really important to um, educate everyone about that sort of thing and not limit it to um, gay men or heterosexual couples. Like everyone, everyone should be aware of barrier methods um, during sex because it's, it's important. Absolutely. When I... Um was younger and at school we sort of had that traditional thing of having condoms and you'll have you know the, the whatever uh, so you know we messed about with that and successfully put the condom on whatever and then I had a condom in my pocket and my teachers asked me to turn my pockets out and then I got a detention for having a condom in my pocket so it's kind of like you know you'll have the sex education tick box but actually sex. then having sex or like anything like that and, and I went to an all girls school so it's absolutely completely you know I'm fathomable um, they used to go around with like meter sticks asking Asking you to like stay away from from the boys from the boys school, um, which was bizarre, but it sort of stays with me to that day. That kind of like idea of shaming, um, so it's bizarre. But I, I would like to see this idea of sex education uh, be extended. It's not just for children or for young people. I think sex education should be expanded for a whole generation of people who didn't have the yeah. right sex education when they were younger. Like you know, I, I spoke at the the top of the show about um, going into a pharmacy and being denied treatment um because it just they just didn't see that a body like mine existed you know that's the kind of thing we need to be ch need to be changing across all healthcare professions um and uh, education all kinds of bodies now we have this language mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely well i mean that's a, a real change that i think needs to happen do you think there's any other changes within the community generally that need to or need to advance in any way or need to make any changes when it comes to sex within the queer community is there anything that's kind of going on or 
you're hearing about that you think mm, this just isn't healthy or isn't right or we need to support people or make that change what do you think well <clears throat> first of all the shaming not being shaming people if they send you pictures on Grinder or all of that and being sharing that picture with more people and making love of them you know first of all starting from that most of all respect and I don't know um, <laughs> what was the question <laughs> Ch changes like advancements in the queer community when it comes to sex a bit more of respect, you know, and, and, and be a bit more open to be more human, not just like a, you know, like 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 a machine, you know, like, like oh, yes, I want, I want you to fuck you. Yeah, that's it. Fuck. Oh, no. Just, you know, I've been sucking you off. Give me a kiss. Give me a cuddle. You know, don't, don't just like, oh, yeah, you have the door in there. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. why. Human it's connection. like, I don't understand. Mm. I think, you know, the closeness of the relationships, I think it should be more important. Even though if you're not going to see that person again, just being kind, you know, because you are already doing something that you are exposing yourself. Because sex is something that you're not doing, like, with your mom or with your dad. Maybe in some cases, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's a bit extreme, you're sorry. It's a vulnerability, uh, I guess, isn't it? So it's like, be vulnerable. Be kind, be, be kind, kind, be, be kind. Because if not, you, you feel vulnerable and you feel ashamed. And then that's when it start the toxic Reese. circle of... of of sex on grinder and, and, and being choosing and, and you want to be the chosen one and oh no I, I, I don't want to be with you and, and, and mm -hmm. you just feel invalidated for their own community so mm -hmm. yes if you don't have a normative body so yeah. this I don't know if I explain myself yeah you do yeah, yeah absolutely Billy See, I reckon with the rise of, I don't know if anyone's on TikTok, but with the rise of TikTok and so many people, I mean, you're getting so much information in your eyeballs within a minute. It's crazy. Um, but what I've seen is there seems to be, with the younger generation coming through, a shaming of people that are, and I say this as a BDSM person in a polyamorous re relationship, there's a shaming of people who aren't polyamorous and aren't into BDSM. Like, let people have a shag and be married. <laughs> like, it's just... Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, but you've got to respect our views. Respect theirs then. Because, you know, there's lots of people who experience relationships in different ways. Maybe someone doesn't want to have five girlfriends. There's a lot of paperwork. Um, <laughs> You know, maybe someone wants to just go home, watch telly, have a nice shag and go to bed. Some people want to be hung from a chandelier. You can't judge there's anyone. There's all of it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah and there, there's people, you know, oh, you're in a monogamous relationship. Yeah, and? Like, yeah. it just doesn't seem, it seems to have gone like, it, it's gone so far the other way that now we're judging people from both sides and it's just insane. And it's hard, you know... I, me and my husband tried open this for a bit. It's hard work. It's like... Oh, my God. It's... I don't know. Like, sometimes you just want to have a nice bit of food in front of the telly and... Exactly. And I just think... And read your book and, you know, yeah. it's, it's... Oh, yeah. It's, I think building on, on what you said about respect is, is really about respecting what people do. And I also think that there is a huge divide in the queer community between... Um, and I'm going to speak carefully here... People who have sex with um, same gender and people like gay people and lesbian people, there seems to be this animosity to lesbians that has never quite gone away. Um, I experienced it with my, my first ever girlfriend with a very good friend of ours stood there and um, a gay man, we kissed and he went, 
And I just find it horrendous how parts of the queer community can turn on other parts of the queer community. Like, we're all in the same boat. It, don't be doing gag faces or saying, that's disgusting. You know, if people hear the word vagina, they balk at it. Um, I'm not doing that about a penis. No. You know, it's you know it's ridiculous and i think the the divides within the com queer community could really do with being bulldozed a little bit that's what i think more, don't we? exactly have each other's backs absolutely mm. what do you think richard i think uh, sex is changing and i think some of the um it being an identity is actually going away for some people that whether they um who they have sex with doesn't necessarily isn't linked to the things that I would associate with being gay and going to the theatre and being fabulous and loving Eurovision as kind of queer Christmas. Um, and we're seeing, you know, we obviously see it this kind of the lens through the kind of healthcare lens of STIs or whatever, but the, uh, and there's a, we're a couple of weeks' time, big shot, there's an outbreak of syphilis and it's changing where the syphilis is moving around and it is moving into particularly straight women. And part of that is that they're having sex with different people and some of it is that they're still having sex with men but they're having sex with men who are queer and gay and and that and people are just being more fluid about all of those things and i just think that's a really welcome uh thing that people are open to um love and expressions of uh relationships and uh and uh, or, or just the kind of pure pleasure element of it but open to it with more people and doing it in a way that is really positive and affirming for them and hopefully the other person that they're doing it with so i think there's something that's really changing and i think um, we've got to be really careful that while there's this kind of appalling attack on the trans community, our identity as queer people is something that we're so wedded to because it's part of our fight back. It's part of our affirmation that we're here and visible and seen. And I think that, that we've still got to, while doing that, be open to the fact that queer is a real spectrum that includes some people who are in and out on the closet on a daily basis that might never come out, um, that might just try something. Um, and I think that's something we've got to be really open to and welcome to, um, that while we fight for our rights in some cases, other people are just going about their lives and there's room for both of those things with respect uh, at, at all times. And there's no one set version of someone, is there, as well? You know, there's a spectrum of sexuality, gender identity, you know, how we present ourselves as queer people. I think that, you know, it would be quite boring if everyone was the same. But I think I definitely feel that sometimes it's, I don't know, you, you can go to a go to a queer pub and it can be, you know, oh, you've got your nails painted or you've got, you know, and it's, again, it's very, people are very much in their boxes sometimes. And for me, I want to kind of straddle those boxes, I guess. And, you know, and... That you do. Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> but encourage others to do the same as well. Because, I, again, I, I wonder sometimes, is it just fear? Maybe, maybe some people don't want to paint their nails or don't want to straddle the boxes whatever but actually sometimes is it just fear is it just i'm safer here right now but i think we all change over time don't we we're not we can't stay the same it's it's, it's impossible um what do you think harry yeah there's quite a lot i would change about um like just sex and queer spaces well sex and queerness in general um i think you know that's everything from i was speaking to one of my friends earlier um about being a trans guy in saunas for example and it's kind of like oh well you have a trans policy and that's kind of where it finishes uh and it, it, that's not that's not the case you know I've, i fear feel fearful every time i go into spaces because the, the clients may be different i don't know whether um you know i'll be kicked out on whether they would have my back about being in there or not um actually it's quite in terms of like talking about 
queer people turning on each other it's quite an appropriate time to have a book called a trans man walks into a gay bar because um it's about straddling those those two things at the same time and i um there's a whole chapter in the book about experiencing uh, an overhearing a conversation in a gay bar with a group of gay men who were talking about which one was a gold star gay or which one was a platinum gay and for for those who may not be aware a gold star gay in their eyes as someone who's never had sex with a woman or a platinum gay has never had um what is it like never they, were, they were had a cesarean um or whatever so like i don't know what i would be but uh <laughs> but it's i kind of i found that really repulsive that idea of like a hierarchical mm. um gayness and that, and that somehow we were more gay than others and um i think there's a real toxicity to that so there, there was there's a lot of change in a style with sex education but also just this embedded ingrained idea of yeah queer people turning each other because we're different and you're all different um but we have at our heart you know solidarity and we have queerness and we have otherness um so i think that some you know for me gender and sexuality can never be something that is, is separated you know in order to have sexuality you need to understand gender and vice versa so um yeah uh, well, I used to work in a sauna in here. I'm not going to say the name. I think it's pretty it's obvious. Only two. <laughs> so you know which one I'm meaning. And the owner basically said that if you don't have the top surgery, you cannot come in. So it's like a fucking transphobic bitch. So it's like, why there is a still like this space is just for gay men or so bisexual men, but not for trans people why when you need to have certainly surgeries to feed in, in and enjoy the freedom of the sex i don't it's something that i don't understand i left that place it was fucking awful because um, you can tell i don't i don't it doesn't go with my ethics to work in a place like that yeah you know you can enjoy the sex but if you don't allow more people to be why you just focus on oh you need a penis you need that it's not about being having a penis there is a lot of more of a spectrum just that mm. why mm -hmm. i think i think hopefully you know with conversations like this and with everyone keeping the conversation going and so much great literature that's coming out you know wonderful book that's going to be on sale in a few minutes um you know, I, I think it's, you know, hopefully we educate people and we keep the conversation going and, and people do change opinion. I think, you know, those kind of situations are very narrow-minded. and But I think, you know, we people have to have a duty to educate themselves and make changes. But hopefully with the right literature, the right podcasts, the right TV programs, films, you start to see change. And that's, I think we are starting to in some ways, but I think there's still a hell of a way to but go. It's still about the money because if there is still people, I mean, don't get me wrong, you can go, but if there is, it's not going to be a change if the same people is going and, and this is still paying money, they're still receiving money. But, you know, they are not going to, make any change if you don't think okay let's include more people and it's it's not it's just about the money it's not about the the liberty it's inclusivity just, yeah yes it's just yes only men mm -hmm. that says everything yeah there's almost like a rite of passage thing i've I found being in relationship with people where they've had a bad coming out experience they almost want that for somebody else that that's the kind of it's what you have to go through to be really gay or, and, and then pass on that sense of toxicity and i wouldn't want that for anyone to have a bad coming out experience and uh, i think we've all got a duty to kind of make that as positive as possible uh, for everyone in the queer community uh, and just end that sense of we can stop that cycle um, and we all have a role to play in that and i think we could 
do something really positive we to do that. To, we all need to join Read Harry's book. Yes, read books, join conversations. I want to finish before we have um, a break um, with a question to you, Richard, or not really a question, but I, I guess um, an education piece maybe. So I think a lot of people in this room will know about all the great work that the Terence Higgins Trust does. And obviously your mission 2030 to have no new cases of HIV in the UK, but medical advancement over the last however many years has just been I mean it's taken us so much further forward so do you want to talk about all the good work that the Terence Higgins Trust does and kind of how people can find out more information so I think it's really important to reflect that when Terry Higgins was what the first named person to die of an AIDS related illness there wasn't even a test we didn't know what the virus was it had no uh, name and all these years later we have the most amazing care and crucially we have the most phenomenal treatment and that treatment that if you take it regularly uh, and as prescribed means that you can get what's known as an undetectable viral load so there's not enough HIV in your system to pass it on to somebody and we know no ifs no buts that if you're taking your treatment you can't pass it on and from a study that had two million acts of condomless sex you cannot pass on the HIV virus if you're taking your medication and I think that's really important really empowering People living with HIV, the people who want to have sex with people living with HIV, um, and, uh, and it's really important, I think, to the kind of burden that HIV has had, whether it's on the queer community, people from black African diaspora, or people more generally that have disproportionately experienced HIV. I think that's really important uh, that we all know that and share that. And the one thing you can pass on is that message that people living with HIV can't pass it on. Because of that, because of the drug PrEP, that means that uh, you, somebody negative can take the drug and not acquire HIV. Because of PEP, which is kind of uh, something you can take in 72 hours if you've been exposed to HIV, because of condoms and because of regular testing. We have all the tools necessary to stop the onward transmission of the virus. And not only could we do that, we could do it by 2030. If we do it, we could be one of the first countries in the world to do it. We'd actually be the first country in the world to do it. And if we've done it, it's the first time we've stopped the onward transmission of a virus without a vaccine and without a cure. And that gets me out of bed every day and makes me really excited to go to work, to share our message, to raise funds, to support Mark Tweed and his colleagues here uh, in Brighton who do an amazing job um, helping people get access to PrEP and condoms, uh, information, testing, um, because it's such an exciting generational thing to be part of. You know, HIV took away a generation of gay men, has impacted globally um, on those who most experience health inequalities, and we, can have, we have it in our gift to change that. And some of the steps we can take are so small. So here in Brighton, everyone who goes to A&E and has a blood test will automatically get a test for HIV, and they're adding hepatitis B and C. And in doing so, and having done this just in four cities, we found 500 additional people uh, living with HIV, been diagnosed, who had previously have gone undiagnosed and not taken their treatment. That is lives that we have literally uh, saved and onward transmission that we have prevented in doing so. So it's a really exciting time to work in HIV. And that's a very odd thing, I think, for lots of people to hear me say, but it's absolutely true and we cannot let our eye off the ball. And what's going to be perverse about it in the next few years is it's down to very small numbers. So we think there's 120 people with undiagnosed HIV here in Brighton. There's just 4,400 in England and about 5,100 UK-wide. We're down to very small numbers. So every year it costs us more to find the next person with undiagnosed HIV. And we need all of you to support us to make sure the government spend that bit of money to find that next person. Because the return on investment is getting worse every year. But by the end of the decade, the return on investment could be not only the huge finance of not having new treatments and uh, a new diagnosis and what that means, but the liberation for many people 
Um, but alongside that, we have a duty to make sure we're here to the last person living with HIV needs us. Just because we stop transmissions doesn't mean people won't live with HIV for a long time. I shared a stage with somebody who's 21. I'm hoping they have got 80, 90 years of living with HIV to go. We all hope for a cure that may come, uh, but people living with HIV aren't necessarily holding out for that. And crucially, we know we can end the transmissions without it. We've got to support living with H- people living with HIV throughout it. And the challenge will come is that, you know, if with 105,000 people living with HIV, they collectively share the burden of HIV shame, which we've got to remove. The danger is if the community is dwindling because we have no new cases and people die of natural causes, that a smaller and smaller group of people will feel uh, that HIV stigma. We've got to be there with them to fight it. And the solidarity that was talked about earlier in the queer community that has been there for people living with HIV is only going to get more important. As people age with HIV, the fear of going to a care home, losing control of your medication, having to come out again, being desexualised, and all the things that go with that experience is something that many people are fearful of. So we're here for that whole lifetime of that HIV journey, from prevention to good treatment, through just living well and going about your life. So there's still lots to do, um, and we haven't touched on the sexual health element, although I've obviously spoken about it uh, throughout this. But for those of you who do support us, we really appreciate it. For those who don't, we would still appreciate your support. And sharing that message, more importantly, that people on effective treatment can't pass it on is the most imp- effective thing you can do. That's incredible. Like, the work that you guys do is amazing, just how much things have evolved over such a short period of time. So round of applause, I think. That deserves anything. Okay, so I think we're going to take a little break and then we'll come back for an audience Q&A. So thank you very much to all my guests. The conversation doesn't stop here. Check out the next part of this podcast episode on your streaming platform. You will not be disappointed. I really hope you enjoyed the show. A big thank you once again to all my guests. Please share the podcast, give it a five-star review if you'd like and leave any comments you may have. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok for all the latest updates on Queer I Am, the podcast. Also check out my website, www.fluiactually.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.